Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Great to have Andy Levine and the team leading us today. Thank you guys for serving us so well. I'm really grateful to be in a church that prioritizes and emphasizes kids and youth ministry. Sometimes when we get into adult life, uh, we forget that there are these little humans all around us, whether you have kids or not, there's probably some kids connected to your life somewhere that are actually their own little people that are developing their own little lives. And it's not little, it's incredibly significant. And they're in one of the most foundational and formational stages of their entire life, you know, from zero to 18. And God has called us uh, to pour our lives as a church into them. And I'm really happy that this week, this Wednesday, we're sending for the first time ever a whole group of kids off to kids camp. Uh, Some of your kids are going. And the last two times uh, that we've sent any kids to kids camp, it was just my oldest daughter by herself went. And she joined up with another group there because we were just starting out. It was once when we were just church planners and then once uh, right after this uh, merger that we had here happened. Uh, and there weren't just a lot of kids. And this week, now we're sending 23 kids that are leaving this week and four counselors. Isn't that awesome? If we keep growing by that statistic, we're gonna need 10 services for these kids soon because that's a, that's a high percentage of growth over the course of a year. But man, be praying for these kids. These camps are a really fun time. It's crazy and it's wild, but also it's formational. Uh, They hear the gospel. They learn about who they are, beloved sons and daughters of God. They have a chance to be prayed over, to put their faith in Jesus, to be filled with the spirit. And so just pray with us for our kids, for safety, uh, for these four workers. Stephen is one of them. Uh, Stephen Hule is going. My wife, Jessica, is going. Oscar Brajas is going. And Abby Ortiz, who's on the booth today, is going. So pray, pray for those counselors who are going and risking their lives. To be with the, my wife and I uh, met at, at, when we were counselors at a kids camp up in Pennsylvania. So um, only one of those four is single. So I'm just saying, who knows? Sign up for kids ministry. You never know what'll happen. I remember when I was a kid, one time visiting my grandfather's house, very young. And when we first got there, they made sure to let all the grandkids know that they had just uh, re-wallpapered the bathroom and to not mess it up. And... That's how I remember it. I don't know how they actually said it. And of course, the first time I ended up in the bathroom, I was kind of like looking at the wallpaper. This is TMI, but I'm sitting there looking at the wallpaper and I just started kind of touching the wallpaper. And then in true kid fashion, I just started like pushing on it a little bit. I was curious. And all of a sudden I poked a hole in it. It took me about three minutes, you know, into the visit. So I poked a hole in the wallpaper that we were just warned about not to mess up. And of course, in that moment, you know, my little young conscience is thinking, do I lie about it? Who do I tell? Who can I blame it on? Well, how can I, how can I work this thing? How can I figure out the angle here? And I don't remember exactly what happened, but my parents found out and my parents forced me to confess it to my grandfather. They said, you're gonna have to talk to Pop-Pop about what you did. And I was, you know, just mortified about this. <laughs> you know, you know how that is. And so I went up to my Pop-Pop and he had no, I had no, he's a loving, wonderful guy, but you know, they seem like giants to you and you don't want to disappoint them. And you know, there is, there's some sternness there, of course. And I said, Pop-Pop, um, I know you told us, you know, not to mess up the wallpaper. And I know we've only been here for like 30 minutes, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
But pop up, I, I poked a hole in the wallpaper. <laughs> well, you, and my parents are, were careful to coach me and say, you have to actually ask for forgiveness. I said, will you please forgive me? And I'm like crying. And of course, he's just nothing but gracious and like lifts me up. And, but do you remember times in your life where you have had that feeling of being guilty and being caught? Think about it for a minute. That's kind of a silly example, but for a little kid, that's kind of your whole world. The examples can get much more serious. And for sure, some of us in here currently are dealing with things that we know we're guilty of that people don't know about yet. And if people were to find out, it would immediately scare us. Kids sometimes live in a perpetual state of, of this mindset. I remember when one of mine was four or five, uh, she liked to do certain things with her toys or bring things into her playroom that she wasn't allowed to have. And for a while there, every time we would like go in and kind of peek in, uh, her first response would be to look up whatever she was holding. She would just throw it and she would just say nothing. <laughs> it's like the quickest admission of guilt you've ever seen in your life. I didn't, you know, before you even say a word, psh, nothing. And just like a mindset of guilt of like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. In the serious cases of life, uh, it gets very serious because there's big consequences when we make mistakes. There's consequences for sin. And the story we're looking at today is about King David. We've been looking at his life because we've been studying through the Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 51 today, and the title is The Joy of Repentance. Parenthetically, it's how to approach God after failing. Psalm 51 is a case study of what this looks like because King David, who was king, I uh, did some things that were absolutely horrific. And I want to spend just a little bit of time actually sitting with the reality of what this king did because they were evil things and they were sinful and there were consequences. And this psalm was written when he was found out and how he approached God. Just to set the stage, King David uh, didn't go off to war this one particular time and his Men were out battling, and he was at home in his palace and saw a woman that he was attracted to from his rooftop and decided that he would use his authority to have her come over to his place and have an affair with her, while her husband, who was one of David's generals, was out at war. Step one, despicable move, horrible move. Then he starts conspiring because he knows it's wrong. And this is, by the way, if you want to read this full account, it is 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I'm not going to read the whole chapters just because of time, just giving you the, the snapshots. He then conspires to try to get her husband back for a little while to lay with Bathsheba, her, so that they would get pregnant. So just in case, it would be covered and look like the baby was theirs. It doesn't work out because Uriah was noble, uh, the husband. And he said, I can't, I can't be back here um, and be with my wife when my men are out on the battlefield, even though David tried to trick him into doing it and give him every opportunity, he wouldn't do it. So then David decided his only choice was to send him back out to war, but put him in the most dangerous part of the battle in hopes that he would get killed, so murder. So then David, again, abuses his authority and his position to have her husband killed on the battlefield, and he's successful. And Bathsheba does get pregnant. She ends up moving into the palace with David, and just to set the stage, he is now an abusive leader. Um, and in that time, he was also like, he, he, part of his role was as a spiritual leader as well. He's an, he's an abusive political leader, spiritual leader, abusive king, abusive ruler, taking advantage of his power. He's an adulterer. He's a conspirer, a liar. 
He's a murderer and he's not in very good shape. And he doesn't confess. God speaks to a prophet named Nathan who gets audience with David and masterfully by the inspiration of the Lord shares a story with David uh, that David doesn't at first realize is about him. It's essentially a parable. And by the end of it, David said, that's horrible. That person should be killed right away. And then the prophet said, it's actually you. And David sees what he's done and he writes Psalm 51. This is his psalm of crying out to God after that immense of failure. At the top, before you actually even read verse one, it says, Psalm 51, for the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Number one in your notes, appeal to the mercy of God. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is guilty. It's basically asking God, please look beyond my guilt. You know that I deserve to be punished. It's kind of like when I went up to my pop-up and I didn't use the word mercy, but I was essentially saying, pop-up, have, have mercy on me. I know I'm guilty. Will you have mercy on me? It's worth articulating the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. So it's just being blessed when you don't deserve it. Mercy is the undeserved forgiveness of God. When you're in a situation like David, or maybe much less than that, but still guilt, and you're shown mercy. Look what it says about the heart of God in Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Part of the character of the living God is that he delights to show mercy. And I wanna encourage you, if you're feeling stuck in your failure or hiding in shame in your failure, don't stay there. We have a God who delights in forgiving us when we don't deserve it. And we're gonna keep looking at that throughout the rest of this short talk. You let the enemy win twice if you fail, and then you continue to fail by not returning back to God. The key is even in the failure, you build up the discipline of no matter what, even caught, in this case, caught in horrific sin, David's inclination is to run towards God. And that's one of the themes of the whole book of the Psalms that you've heard me over the last few months say, don't struggle away from God, struggle towards God. He delights in showing mercy. Ask him for mercy when you know you deserve to be punished. Then he goes on in verse two, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Number two, confess your sin. It doesn't make any sense to make excuses for our sin because God already knows everything that's in us. He knows every thought we have. He's aware of the sins that we commit that we are unaware of ourselves. We must actually confess. That's why I'm thankful my parents always pushed me as a kid 
Tell them you're sorry and ask for forgiveness. Like actually work this thing out. And I wanna encourage you, part of the invitation we have from the Lord is to actually confess our sin. And I would, I would clarify this, or, or let me even say better than the word clarify, it's, it's cautionary. You see, only the Lord can give us a real revelation of our sin. And if you're sitting there thinking like, I don't, I'm a pretty good person. I don't have much to confess. That's okay that that's where you're at. But ultimately, um, the Lord needs to give you a revelation of your own sin and need for the Lord. I've, I really had that happen in my life when I was about 17 years old. I, I had lived in and around church my whole life, ministry family, and was preparing for my future and what I was gonna do for college and excited about life. And, and one Sunday during communion, which we're gonna take today at the end of service, by just God's sovereign touch, I, I was broken over my sin at the foot of the cross. I, I wasn't literally, but I was just bawling in my seat. And there's this amazing thing about God, and it's part of the beautiful mystery. On one hand, you encounter the justice of God, like you, there is sin in your life, and it's more than just what you do, it's at the core. The, there is sin, there is actual evil in you that God will reveal to you, and it's the just of God, justice of God, the holiness of God, and you're broken, but at the exact same time, there is the mercy of God and the unconditional love of God, like all in the same moment. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's, it, it's the love of a father. It's the love of a savior. And it's the revelation of sin. And it's good to pray for a revelation of your own sin. Why? Your own sin will destroy you. <laughs> it, will, it will lead you towards destruction. It will lie to you. It will deceive you. That's why all of us know this. We're tempted to go back to the things that hurt us. Like we never learned the lesson. So it's good to pray. Give me a revelation of my sin. And look what John 16, eight says about this. When he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin. So who convicts us concerning sin? It's the Holy Spirit. This is also a good note for how we engage with the world around us. You know, the world is the world. It doesn't know God. So I'm never surprised when culture takes giant leaps away from the way of Jesus. It shouldn't really surprise us as followers of Christ and as we study history. It doesn't mean we're okay with it, but it's not surprising and it doesn't become doomsday in our minds. It just is what it is because they don't know the Lord. And guess what? It's not my job to convict them of their sin. And it's not your job. You know whose job it is? The Holy Spirit. And guess who's really good at his job? The living God. The spirit of God is very good at his job. And part of that is convicting of sin. So we can be a little bit free and just, it's okay to be in the world and love people with truth and grace at the exact same time. So it's not compromised, but we don't have to be defensive. God can defend himself. The Bible, the, 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 the Bible has lasted generation after generation after generation after generation, gone through incredible assaults against its validity, against the way of Jesus, against what God would teach, yet God keeps building his church. God is God. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. God is holy. God is loving. And I just, I ache for like fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are so terrified about what's going on in the world. You don't have to be terrified. We don't have to be terrified about our kids. God loves my kids more than I love them. He has a perfect plan for them. And I can raise them. I don't have to 
I don't have to shelter them from the world to the, to the degree that they don't even understand how to talk to a person, right? I teach them the way of Jesus. I raise them up in the context of the actual real world and tons of wiggle room, obviously, about how people go around education, all those things. But ultimately, I trust God with my kids. And you can trust God with your kids. You can trust God with your grandkids. But we pray, we pray for spiritual awakening. The way we fight as Christians is different than the world fights. We rest in the power of God. It's by his spirit alone. Are you guys with me on that? Do you understand what I'm getting at? He is the living God. And it's only by his spirit that actual conviction of sin happens. And then it leads right to the promise, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. So appeal to the mercy of God. Confess your sin. And I refer to this process as learning how to celebrate repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. I believe repentance is, is an, it's a daily invitation from the Lord. You can return. You can leave the filth again and return to the Lord. That's good news. Do you guys believe me? <laughs> That's really good news. I wanna encourage you to begin to live a lifestyle of celebrating repentance. Look what Charles Spurgeon said. I like this. The nearer a man lives to God, the more intensely has he to mourn over his own evil heart. Repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. No, it is the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. That's good news. We can return over and over. And repentance is just changing your mind and going back to the way of Jesus. Turn and walk the other way. Return to him. David goes on and says in verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Then in verses seven through nine, he starts to really write prophetically, which is just a way of saying he's now really like pointing to a future that's only gonna be fulfilled in Christ fully. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Hyssop is a plant that the priest used in ceremonial cleaning. They would dip it in the blood of a sacrificed animal and sprinkle that on the person that needed to be cleansed. And that was a ceremony that was pointing to what would ultimately be completely fulfilled in the age of grace, the new covenant through Christ, through the sacrificial lamb, the last one ever needed, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us and had his body broken for us on the cross so that his blood sprinkled over our life cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. He's pointing to that prophetic picture and it point, it's number three in your notes. Cling to the gospel. The gospel just means the good news of Jesus. Only by the gospel is what David goes on to talk about in verse 10, even possible. Create in me a pure heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
So he starts off crying for mercy. He's confessing his sin. Now he's, he's pointing to this thing that he doesn't even fully understand yet as being in the old covenant that's fulfilled in Christ. And we see its fulfillment articulated in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, the sacrificial lamb, we might become the righteousness of God. That's called the great exchange. So you do not approach God based on your own merit ever, whether you feel like you've had the greatest day or whether you have failed on the proportion of King David. Either way, you're not coming on your own merit. That gets confusing sometimes, doesn't it? Because we feel like when we're doing well, we are kind of coming on our own merit. God, I, man, I've been seeking you every morning. It's been so powerful. I know you really, I know I'm really holy now. You really hear me now. I really expect your blessing now. You know what that's called? Earning salvation, right? Self-righteousness. It can lead you down a really dark path of essentially legalism and rule-keeping and like moralism as Christianity, which is not what it is. It's always the great exchange because we don't know the depths of our own sin. It's really obvious in cases like what David has done right here, but it's not always quite that obvious in our own life, hence the revelation of sin that we need. But even in these really obvious situations, it's always the great exchange. So don't let, don't be held back from returning to the one who has mercy for you. I like how Matt Chandler articulated this. The marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not predicated upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. David goes on to say in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Which these are weird st statements to make because in the old covenant, they were instructed to bring burnt offerings. <laughs> so he's like kind of going against the grain of their religious culture of the day that was like instructed to them from God. But again, he starts to really speak prophetically here. Number four, and your final note today is walk in humility. And he starts to articulate this in a very prophetic way in verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is what? A broken spirit. God has given him insight in this moment that the sacrifice isn't actually the lamb or the bull or whatever they were doing in the ceremonial system of the old covenant. My, my sacrifice, O God, is my broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Look back at verse 17. He is saying this, is what is pleasing to God. This is what God does not despise. Contrite means sincere remorse, desire for God over sin. I can always tell the mark of someone who's really walking with God and it's humility, it's brokenness. It's the opposite of self-righteousness. It's the opposite of like indignation towards the world. It's humility. It comes down to remorse and an understanding of your own brokenness before God. In other words, I'm capable of anything, any evil I'm capable of. It's there. And there's more in me that I am not even aware of that God by his grace hasn't even fully shown me yet. 
I'm broken over my sin. I've tried life my way. It's what I love about, I looked at Stephen Hulaire, one of our Celebrate Recovery ministers. I love Celebrate Recovery because you gotta start broken. It's more obvious, right? Because it's sometimes really tangible things, but all of us, every follower of Christ is called to walk in this kind of humility. Think about how Jesus started his first sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. What was the opening line? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what he opened it with. What does that mean? (laughs) Poverty of spirit is the kind of brokenness that God has called us to walk with. And what does he say about the poor in spirit? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness. God, I'm so thankful this is true because I'm broken. It's just humility. My dad used to teach me as as a kid growing up, humility and truth are just two sides of the same coin. On one side is truth, on the other side is humility. The more humbly you approach God, the more truth you get because you're approaching in humility. And then the more truth you get, the more humble you are. And you can just tell people that have had large doses of the truth of God in their life because they're humble. Their first inclination is compassion, care. And this story is a great example of this because when I think of what David did in this, And when I think of Bathsheba, and when I think of the little son that they had that was lost as a consequence of the sin, and I think about these realities and the abuse of power and the lying and the murdering, I don't want David to be forgiven. Anybody with me? I would not be first in line to be like, restore that man to his position. I'd probably be first in line to be like, he's done. Canceled, to use the cultural word. If there was ever reason to be canceled, David did it right there. Yet, the mercy of God. It's not an excuse for sin, but it's the mercy of God. And it's the same mercy he gave to you. And it's why I, 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 I keep banging the drum of we have to offer mercy to our world. If the first inclination is rage, we're not walking in humility. The first inclination should be compassion for someone that needs to know the Lord. That should be the first inclination. And again, it is not compromise. It is not an excuse for sin. It doesn't mean things are just fine. We stand for truth, but we stand for the mercy of God and the grace of God, which leads to truth. What is it that actually leads you and me to repentance? The scripture says, the kindness of God. His kindness leads you to repentance. So let's just think carefully about how we engage in the world. Let's think carefully about how we engage with those that are on opposite sides of what we believe or even know to be true. Especially be careful about how you engage with those that are on opposite sides of things of you that don't even matter in scripture. It's just differences of opinion. Because a lot of it is just opinion. Not all of it, but some of it is just opinion. Don't make that your fight. Offer mercy. Love people. Let's, let's stay focused on the higher goal here, which is the kingdom of God, our highest allegiance. What a great strategy of the enemy to get the church away from actually leading people to Jesus and into just fighting. Let's bring people to Jesus. And that is the fight. Look at what scripture says about humility. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Let me invite the band to come on up. If you'll take your communion pack, 
everyone's welcome to participate. But what you're saying, if you participate, is I wanna be a follower of Jesus. That's what you're saying. So you're saying I ask for forgiveness for my sins. You're saying I'm giving you my life, Lord. I wanna follow you all of my days. That's what you're saying if you take this. You don't have to take it, no pressure at all. Zero judgment if you don't take it. If anyone doesn't have a pack and you need one, go ahead and raise your hand and one of the team members will bring you one. Okay, it looks like we're good. Go ahead and open up the top, the top part. This is representative of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So this little wafer, it's just symbolic. So if you're at home worshiping with us, we encourage you to take communion as well. And you don't need one of these cups. You don't even need juice or a little wafer. You can use any cracker. You can use water, orange juice. Uh, during the pandemic, a few times, my family took communion with goldfish and ginger ale. And it was awesome. It's just symbolic. It's symbolic of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Let's close our eyes together. Um, you, church, or you, whoever is here, you may not be a follower of Jesus yet, and that is, that's okay. People are completely welcome here as, exactly as they are. But I want to... I want to be clear with you. You are invited today to appeal to the mercy of God. You're invited to turn your gaze towards him. And this is for you, church, as well. You might have been serving the Lord for decades. No matter, you're invited to appeal to the mercy of God. You're invited to confess your sin. Just tell him, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. I appeal to your mercy. You're invited to cling to the gospel. Jesus, thank you for being such a great savior. Thank you for making a way for me. Thank you for giving me your righteousness so I can live. You're invited today to walk in humility, to step even more into that broken and contrite heart that God does not despise, but in fact, he pours his grace on the humble. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken to us broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, it says, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, we thank you for this. That is representative of what you've done for us. And we just declare today that we want to follow after your ways. We want to know you more. We give our whole life to you and we partake together. Let's eat, church. Go ahead and open up the uh, juice. Verse 25, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant we're invited into. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we, we thank you that this juice or whatever anyone at home is holding, this water is representative of your blood shed for us the highest price paid on our behalf. While we were still sinners, you loved us. While we were still just like King David, making that kind of mess, might not be as obvious as those scenarios, but that kind of sin, those same selfish inclinations, the same tendency to hurt those around us, the same temptation to lie and cover everything up, the same temptation to go as far as we need to go to look out for ourselves. Thank you that your blood covers over our sinfulness. We drink together today in remembrance. Let's drink, church.
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's just go into a time of worship. We're going to sing this one song. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you're a great Savior. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you lift our heads out of shame. We thank you that you invite us back into full fellowship with you. We're thankful that you empower us to love the world, to speak the gospel, to invite into your family. Thank you that your altar is always open. Thank you that you invite us to the altar every day, multiple times a day. We worship you, Lord. If, if any of you um, just would like further counsel about any of this or people to pray with, please talk to me. You can also talk to uh, Rob Rates. If you could wave your hand real quick. This is Rob. He oversees our pastoral care team. We'd love to just walk with you, help you, pray with you, be a part of you following Jesus. We're in it together. Isn't that awesome? As you go out, don't forget to say hi to some of the team leaders. They'll be there to greet you guys and prayerfully connect somewhere. Isn't it good to just worship God? I'm, dan I'm dangerous at the end of services because I might just keep going for like an hour. I'm like, I could sing this. I feel like we're like, it's a glimpse of heaven. It's like a glimpse of heaven, you know? Some of the leaders are going out and getting ready. But uh, joy to worship with you guys. I love hearing you sing. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. Go now and rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be afraid or worried about anything. But in everything, trust God and pray. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, sharing what you have and being gentle with all. And may God rejoice over you with gladness. May Christ Jesus renew you in his love. And may the Holy Spirit give you peace beyond understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Have a wonderful rest of your 4th of July.